Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your host, Dr. Mike Brazier. Hey, everyone. Uh, we are back uh, for another episode of the DU Podcast, and we are picking up on a, on a previous episode. Uh, we have, uh, again with us, our special guest, Dr. Vanessa Harriman, Ducks, Unlim- Ducks Unlimited Canada Institute for Wetlands and Waterfowl Research. And we're going to be resuming our conversation about fleas and presence of fleas in goose nest. And, you know, it occurred to us on the as we were... Uh, approaching the half hour mark in our previous episode that we had barely scratched the surface on that topic. Kudos, kudos to Clay for that little joke. Uh, give him a, a plug there. Uh, and there was a lot more to discuss. And so we wanted to have uh, Vanessa back on to carry us through the through some of the more interesting aspects of the, at least from a population management standpoint, uh, aspects of the of the study. So, Vanessa, thanks for your time again. Welcome back to the show. Great. Thanks, Mike. And when we left off, we had concluded with you describing the process that you use to count fleas in the nest. And probably one part that we left off of that is the other the other piece to that was relating that to the degree of blood coverage on the eggs. There's, you know, the blood coverage on these eggs uh, varies with respect. Well, it, it varies. Uh, some eggs have no blood. Some eggs have uh, are almost fully covered with blood. And so, remind me, what was the, how strong was the relationship between abundance abundance of fleas in the nest and blood coverage? So we did find that the relationship was was quite strong between the abundance of fleas in the the goose nests and the blood coverage on the eggs. Okay. And so with that relationship established, you could then go to a variety, go go to a whole bunch of nests in this in this goose colony of which contained both lesser snow geese and Ross's geese and you could index the you could record data on the the degree of blood coverage, and then also nest success, right? So carry us through that. What was that part of the study like? Okay, so what we did was now that we have established this relationship between the proportion of the egg that's covered by blood and the number of fleas in the nest, what we were able to do then is is visit thousands of nests, so just under 3,000 nests over four years for this specific study and quickly uh, index the number of fleas or amount of fleas within these nests. And then following up from that, our questions were what factors actually influenced the number of fleas in the nests? So we really wanted to understand what, what impacts essentially flea population dynamics. So we looked at um, a variety of factors, including goose-specific factors, so factors like um, which species, was it a lesser snow goose or a Ross's goose, and also nest uh, habitat-associated factors. And so those included habitat like, is it in birch or rock or kind of heat heat habitat? 
And also, was the nest bowl that that goose is nesting in, was it an old nest bowl? So one that had actually been built a year before or many, many years before and reused by a goose, or was it a totally new nest bowl? And, and then another factor that we considered was, was it an old part of the, the snow goose and Ross's goose colony, or, or was it a new part of the colony? So as this colony grew, it expanded um, around the kind of the perimeter would just, it would just get larger and larger, this colony. And so you actually had towards the, the perimeter of the colony, you would have newer, newer areas of the colony, new, new areas used by geese. And then at the really at the center of the colony, you had really uh, old areas of the colony or colonies that had been used for a very long time. Um, and documentation started in about 1966. Wow. And the, the other really important part of this is, and I think we've mentioned this a couple of times, but I want to reemphasize it here, is that the other piece of information that you collected at each of these nests was whether the nest was successful, whether it hatched. And by successful, it means did it hatch at least one egg? Is that, do I have that right? Absolutely. Okay. Yep. So, so we would visit the nests um, during the incubation period, and we would count the number of eggs and record the proportion of the egg that was covered by blood or average over that for an average over that entire uh, clutch. And then after all the geese had left the colony, after the goslings had hatched and there's this mass exodus, you go back and you, you visit all of these nests and you look for signs of, of egg membrane or egg cap that will give you an indication of whether or not at least one of the eggs has, has hatched in that nest. And mem by membranes, you're talking about it's just this little balloon-like, it lo looks like a balloon that's been kind of dried up, and that would be the present, that would be an indi indication that an egg has hatched. That's kind of what's left after an egg hatches. It's the membrane on the inside of that egg. Yes. Well, tell us tell us what you found. What uh, What did you find with respect to the influence of blood coverage and flea abundance on productivity. Okay, so I guess the the first question was um what would we what did we find in terms of flea population ecology? And so what we found was actually that older areas of the colony um uh, was more were more likely to have higher flea intensities or more nests with more fleas. And that kind of makes sense. That's probably what you would have predicted. Absolutely. And then also that old nest bowls um, so nest bowls that had been established in previous years were were more likely to have eggs with more blood on them or more fleas. The goose will come back and use the exact same nest, nest bowl, right? Yep, and, I th and that might be in some years, it may be availability um, of these nest bowls may influence whether or not a goose will reuse a nest bowl. Because if, if you imagine when these geese arrive, in many years, the landscape is icy and snowy, and, and there's not a lot of exposed um, habitat. So there's, there's really not a lot of places to nest when they arrive in many years. And so these old nest bowls often will, will melt out more quickly because it's, uh, you have kind of this packed vegetation, around these nest bowls and, and so they, they melt out more quickly. And so 
during the years of this study, about 50% of geese in the colony actually reused old nest bowls. So the other factor that influenced kind of flea populations was the, the habitat surrounding the goose nest. And so what we found was that areas with more rocks and more dwarf birch um, had more fleas, essentially. And so we think that this may be because the fleas overwinter better in these habitats. So if you imagine snow accumulating and building up around rocks and these, these short shrubby birch, um, you are going to have really good isolate, or sorry, insulation, really good insulation. And fleas are susceptible to drying out when they're overwintering in that nest. So they're actually overwintering in the nest material as adults in a cocoon. Because they're susceptible to drying out, we think that there are certain habitats they're more likely to survive in. And, and so this is why we think we see them um, are more fleas in these, these types of habitats. And they're, and they're also susceptible, as we know if, um, from your work, to the freeze-thaw cycle. So are, those, are these locations also less susceptible to freeze-thaw? Yes, well, rock in particular is uh, less susceptible to that freeze-thaw cycle because it's, it's often um, in windswept areas and well-drained. And so once that snow melts, the, the snow is gone, and so you're not going to, to kind of get that pooling of water and freezing and thawing that process that would kill the flea. Okay. Well, that's, yeah, and that's interesting um, that, that you found a difference. It makes sense that you found a difference that more fleas in older nests, especially if they're able to overwinter, which obviously they are, but then the fact that they're able, that you found a greater abundance in some of these particular uh, vegetation communities is particularly interesting. So... Um, okay. Well, uh, can we talk about impacts on nest success now? You, uh, I, I keep wanting to go there, and you keep taking us back to talk about <laughs> to talk about flea ecology. So, what we did find was that the majority of nests did have fleas during the four years of study, um, but in general, they're in pretty low numbers. So, what we found was, um, on average, only about three percent of any given clutch or or 3% of the egg surface would be covered by blood. So that was the average um, across the colony. So in some years, although you may have individual nests where there was, you know, 90 to 95% coverage, in general, the coverage was only about a 3%. So most of these things just had, most, most eggs just had very small amounts of blood on them. Right. Yeah. But with that said, we did see a relationship, a negative relationship between um, blood coverage on eggs and and nest success. So the more blood on eggs or the more fleas in the nest, the less likely the goose would successfully hatch an egg. So we did we did uh, document a negative impact on nest success. And just for some perspective here, um, a goose nest. Uh, nearing 90% blood coverage, so if there's about 90% blood coverage, they're only about 20% likely to successfully hatch an egg relative to a, a bird with a nest that averaged 0% blood being about 70 to 80% successful in hatching an egg. Hmm. That's a pretty big so difference. So we did really, yeah. it, 
it is a very big difference. What do you think was causing that reduced nest success for those the for those uh, eggs that had those situations where you had more blood coverage? Yeah, so we had a, a few hypotheses, and um, one was that the female nest attendance declined, so that essentially the female was irritated by the fleas, and so she would take more breaks or spend more time away from, from the nest, which could affect either predation rates, so the, the more time the female's away from the nest and not defending that nest, the more likely a fox is to come in and, and grab that egg, um, or the more likely she is to take breaks. I mean, it's still cold up there in the Arctic, and the longer breaks that you take, the less likely that egg will successfully hatch. So that was one hypothesis, that female attendance was, was affected by these biting fleas, essentially. The other hypothesis is actually um, around gas exchange. And so in these cases where a large proportion of the egg was covered, or even if it was a, a smaller proportion of the egg that was covered, um, as the goose would roll the egg, the middle of the egg would become free of blood. So, so while they're incubating, they'll, they'll kind of rotate their eggs. And what, what this would result in was um, removal of the blood from kind of the middle of the egg, but the blood would remain on the poles of the egg. And the poles are important, and particularly the pole with kind of the, the air sac. Is that what it's called? Yep, it is. Yeah. My, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> with the air sac, the pole with the air sac. And so we're talking um, about the ends of the eggs, the poles or the ends of the, the eggs. What? Yeah, so the, so the ends of the eggs... Um, if there was a lot of blood over that, the end of the egg with that air sac, we feel that it may have influenced the gas exchange or impeded or decreased gas exchange for that developing embryo. Those are, those are the two main hypotheses. Be the first to know when ducks are on the move. Sign up for DU's waterfowl migration email alerts and receive ongoing in-depth updates on the latest habitat conditions, weather changes, and hunting reports for your flyway. Visit ducks.org slash migration alerts. And this is a topic we, no, this is a topic we haven't discussed yet, but just the anatomy of an, of an egg in general is fascinating. Uh, it, there are pores that, uh, the, an eggshell is... Uh, has pores uh, throughout it. The density of those pores is greater on the ends, and it's through those pores that gas exchange occurs between the outside and the inside, and that gas exchange is, is critical for that embryo to develop. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's something that we haven't even really discussed yet on, on an episode, and I'm sure we will. The eggs are, eggs are fascinating um, aspects of biology. Uh, so yeah, then that makes sense, th those two things. Now, did you collect any data to test either of those hi uh, hypotheses, either the nest attendance or the gas exchange? Or uh, I guess predation is in there as well. Right, unfortunately, we didn't. And um, that would be some very interesting follow-up work. But uh, I did find in 2016 a thesis by Ross Weatherby, who studied barnacle geese in Svalbard. And he actually tested this. So he documented a similar phenomenon um, between this, with respect to this relationship between fleas and goose nests and barnacle geese. And 
He did specifically test this question, and he found that incubating geese with heavily infested nests actually had reduced nest attendance. So there is some suggestion that 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 hypothesis may play a role in affecting um, nest success in geese. Do you know if, if Ray or uh, anyone else has a student studying e either of those um, hypotheses at the moment? Uh, to my knowledge, no, no one is uh, is studying that right now, and it would be incredibly exciting if that was uh, was continued. If there's some <laughs> undergraduate listening to this podcast and you're interested in studying uh, geese and fleas, there you go. I'm sure there's lots of you out there. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, and okay, and all right. So the overall, the overall percentage of blood coverage was pretty small, 3%, right? But you did find certainly some nests where there was a high degree of blood coverage, so we know it varies. What did you find, or what did you simulate, I guess you'd say, with respect to uh, the individual impacts? So we kind of know what those are. You've kind of already described those, but once you roll that up, to the population level, which is where your your interest in population ecology comes into play. What did you find in respect to that? So what we found was that Car the Carrick Lake goose population would experience declines as a result of flea abundance only if the colony average of blood coverage reached about 40%. So we'd, we'd have to go from 3% on average up to 40% for us to really um, see population level effects based on our modeling. Now, to be clear here, I'm looking at one of your papers, and you found evidence of blood on eggs in about 75% of your nest uh, across Ross's geese and snow geese. Now, that's 75% of nest, but, but within each nest, on average, that mean that average blood coverage of the egg surface was only 3%. So you're saying that once that... Once that 3% of the average surface area of the egg uh, is, that's covered by blood gets up to 40% across the colony, then that's where we would predict we'd start seeing population level, at least colony level effects. Yes, exactly. That leads to the natural question of uh, your study was conducted in the early 2000s. What do we know about the trend in blood coverage in the Carrick Lake Colony? Well, fortunately, Ray Alasoskis and Dana Kellett have continued monitoring this phenomenon. And um, based on their ongoing monitoring of blood on eggs, it does appear that the number of nests infested by fleas has remained consistently high. So like you said, over 70% are infested. And that, so that's remained consistently high with the exception of a few years. Um, but really the ongoing monitoring suggests in general that flea infestation has actually increased slightly through time and particularly so over the last five years and in the nest of Ro and in the nests of Ross's geese. Has that average percent blood coverage increased? Is that what you're saying? Yes. So the average blood coverage has increased from 3% to just under 12% now. So still not that up at that anticipated um, colony level threshold of effects at 40%. That 12% is still not up to that 40%, but it does appear that um, the flea intensity or number of fleas is increasing in the colony. Uh, that would be explained by some of the other factors that you've already documented, how flea infestation uh, varies based on 
the age of the nest and the location, the vegetation community that it's in. And that vegetation community element is, is important as, uh, because of the relationship to you know, warming, uh, warming uh, summers or the, uh, and the warming climate. In that in that area, and its effect on vegetation. Did I read that correctly in your in your article? Absolutely. So, um, as we noted before, there is a positive relationship or more fleas in areas with more birch, and we anticipate that the birch range expansion there will be birch range expansion or more birch essentially as the uh, climate warms. This is a, it's a phenomenon that I, you know, I'll confess until we met earlier this year, I, and I asked you uh, what kind of, you know, about your background, what kind of research you had, you had conducted as you were in school. This is something I had not heard about at all. And it's certainly fascinating to learn about. Now, are there any, is there any thought about trying to manage this you know we were kind of joking offline here maybe we invest in frontline for geese uh, <laughs> but at the same time snow geese and ross's geese are, are two species for which we also talk about them being hyper abundant you know so this could be just one of those density dependent mechanisms that begins to kick in and sort of serve to naturally control the uh, the population or what do those conversations look like it is absolutely an interesting phenomenon and one that um that Dr. Alasoskis and his team will continue to monitor, but because of the the hyper abundant uh, populations I don't think that it's really something that uh, we've seriously considered in uh, to manage. Yeah, it's just another one of those things, I guess, that we that we need to understand, or that it's valuable to understand from the perspective of of uh, uh, our observations of goose population dynamics. Right? It's just another one of those things that that can influence their productivity. Is the way I kind of think Absolutely. about it. Absolutely. I can imagine our listeners uh, wondering: Are these fleas likely to travel down, be dispersed on geese as they migrate south. I think I would remind our, our listeners that you found very few fleas on the geese themselves, but is there any any concern of dispersal of these these uh, monstrous fleas <laughs> southward <laughs> as a result of migration? Oh, um, probably not because the adults do only visit the host very briefly to feed. Um, we don't think that, that the geese are, are carrying these, these adult fleas uh, very, very far for very long. So nothing to worry about. Okay. So hunters can send their dogs after their harvested snow geese without any concern of them getting these fleas. That's good. Uh, what about ducks? Has there been any documentation of these fleas in any other uh, or let's just say any other waterfowl species that may be nesting at Carrick Lake. Uh, I've never been there, so I don't know. Is it only snow and Ross's geese at Carrick Lake, or do you have some uh, any other goose species or duck species that happen to be around? Yeah, so there are other duck species. Um, so there are king eiders and long-tailed ducks, and there are gulls. And actually, Dana Kellett just sent me some recent data that they've they've started collecting on um, blood coverage on eggs in king eider nests. And so they have started to um, document and notice that there are actually fleas and blood on eggs in king eider nests. And that's 
that's a more recent phenomenon. And that would be a species that certainly had a different population status than Snow or Ross's geese from the from the perspective of a management concern, right? Yes, yes, it would be. What about uh, documentation of this at any other snow goose colonies? Have you heard of that? I haven't heard of that in other snow goose colonies. Um, there aren't people on the ground in the Queen Maud Gulf uh, in other colonies, and so although they may be present in other colonies, we we haven't actually we haven't documented that in other colonies. But but the researchers presumably are looking. Uh, you would they would notice it if it's there. It's not something that you have to look very hard for. Once it starts to occur, you notice it, right? You would notice it. Um, but because most most eggs have a fairly low proportion of of blood coverage, so that three percent, I I think that it could go unnoticed unless you saw a nest with eggs that are are really covered in blood. Um, so you'll you notice it as you handle the eggs, but it would have to be. I th- I think it in honest. I think it might have gone unnoticed for a very long time. It's just because Ray has such an intense um, monitoring program and effort. It could be one of the reasons he was able to document it, but. I didn't ask the other researchers working in, in the Arctic. So That's a great point to make. It's just another example of the incredibly valuable information that we get from the long-term studies, such as the ones that Ray and uh, and others across the Arctic have established. And so we, we thank them for that. And I, I think that's going to wrap it up uh, here, uh, Vanessa, unless you have anything else to add. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Well, and, and if if any of our listeners had an itch to learn more about fleas, I hope we've scratched that itch. And we thank you for your time. And Vanessa, thanks thanks again for joining us and thanks for sharing your expertise with us. It's been fun. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Mike, for the opportunity. Thanks again to our special guest, Dr. Vanessa Harriman, for sharing her expertise on fleas and geese, a very interesting topic for us. Also, I want to thank Clay Baird, our producer, who does a fantastic job getting these podcasts out to you. And we thank you, our listeners, for your time and joining us on this podcast. Let us know what you think of the podcast. You can email us at dupodcast at ducks.org. Let us know what you think about uh, about the content, about how we're doing. If there are certain things you'd like to hear, uh, we'd, we'd like to hear from you. So thanks for listening and thanks for your commitment to wetlands and waterfowl conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit www.ducks.org slash DU Podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks.